in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up the, with a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, church. Thank you, Jesus. I am uh, so excited to be diving back into our series. If you have your Bibles, you can get 2 Timothy chapter 4 out. We're going to walk through that again uh, in a few moments. It has been uh, an awesome summer. I got to share a couple highlights just a moment ago, but uh, I'm so excited. I, I have loved walking through 2 Timothy. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. If you're just jumping in and joining us right now, um, this is a good week uh, to be here because we're talking about finishing. And, uh, and I think uh, here's the thing. Even if uh, being a, uh, the, the context of what we're talking about out of the scriptures doesn't really apply to you because you're not a person who believes that the scriptures are a final authority, the context that we're going to talk about today, I believe is just going to be very helpful information for your life. And uh, my hope is that this series has just been helpful information for your life rooted in scripture that if you embrace it could literally change your destiny. We've been talking about tools and being equipped uh, with different tools. And, uh, and one of the running kind of jokes and themes is this idea that uh, it's summertime now, so it's even more fun to joke about, but I don't know how to camp. Uh, that's not in my skill set. I'm a Bay Area kid. I didn't learn any of those survival things, but I really dig watching people on TV camp and figure out how to survive in scenarios and think if I could actually do it. Um, but we've talked about how surviving is so much easier if we have the right tools. And this incredible letter that Paul writes about being equipped uh, to the next generation of the church so that we could understand what tools that we need so that we can really follow Jesus with everything that we've got. It's been a, uh, a great summer so far. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed uh, what God's doing here. I got to share a little bit just a moment ago about what God's been doing uh, in some other places. But uh, I, I just love seeing the Holy Spirit move and seeing people just get what God really has for them. It's been so cool to get to see that time and time again. And so today we're gonna talk about one of these conversations and it's, it's near the end of Paul's life. It's so near the end of Paul's life that the next, next week when we conclude the letter, it is the last things that Paul wrote that we know of before his execution. It's his final words and and finishing things well is important. So he's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he's saying, I want you to be a finisher. And I don't know about you, but I like a finisher. I'm a creative person. I love to think up new ideas and, uh, and get them rolling. And then I need finishers around me who can make sure that we cross the finish line, that we get to the end of the story. I was thinking about times when I've struggled to finish. And one of the times when I struggled to finish, but it was really important to me, was about the year 2000. 
And uh, I was at this ceremony. It was a graduation ceremony. It was for my class. And uh, I was walking. It was exciting. I had a cap and I had a gown and I was in the crowd and we were walking and, and uh, it was college uh, graduation. It was my Bible college graduation. And we walked to the front and I shook the hand of the president of the, of the uh, college and he handed me this little folder thing that had my name on the, on the outside and it was leather bound and it was awesome. And then I walked over to the side and I stood in line with my classmates and I opened it up and peeked and it said in there on a sticky note, upon the completion of your classes and payment, you will receive your bachelor's degree. You see, I walked, but I hadn't finished yet. I had got to the finish line, but I hadn't done the work yet, and I hadn't paid the price yet, so they weren't going to give me the reward of finishing I got to be in the crowd, but I wasn't done. Now, I got done. Don't worry. <laughs> Some of you are like, he didn't even finish. No, I got done. It took a, through the rest of the summer, and I had to knock off two more classes and challenge one. And then I paid, and I paid, and I paid. Come on, somebody. This year, some 18 years later, I have finished paying for that degree. And so <laughs> it was, yeah, you could, we could celebrate that. I no longer have a school payment. It was like $115 a month for the rest of your life. And so <laughs> I'm, pr I'm very pleased I lived long enough to pay that off and not pass that on to my kids. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so long and short of it, though, is there something incredible about finishing? And there's a tension that we experience when the job is supposed to get done, but it doesn't get done. Some of you work with people who are like that. And they're on your team, and they know the job, and they start the job, but they don't finish the job. And you've experienced the frustration of being with someone who doesn't finish the job. Maybe you've been the I didn't finish the job person. I'm not pointing fingers. Some of you are in your house right now. There are projects upon projects upon projects that have been started. Some of you can't get in your garage right now because everything in your garage is part of an important project that has started, <laughs> but it ain't got finished yet. Some of the projects you're working on are for people that you don't know anymore because you started something for them, but you didn't finish it. And Paul is writing to the next generation, the church that, that he worked so hard to get started that he gave his life for. And he said, listen, it's awesome that we started this thing. It's awesome that we've got the ball rolling. It's awesome that all of the things are happening right now so that you've received the benefit of my work and the work that this generation did. But you've got to pick up the baton and finish Run the rest of your race. If you don't run the rest of your race, you risk the influence and the energy and the work that's been done so far dropping to the ground and the momentum being gone. There's so many of us in the room. We have unfinished projects, unwritten books, songs unwritten, lyrics started. I was thinking about... The last project that I didn't finish that was really significant 
we had bought a house in Oregon and it was so exciting. We bought this house and after living in the shack on the hill for years and years and years and years, we were in a home. And uh, when we moved into the home, the, the, the older lady that had lived there before us had just different tastes than us. And so every, every room in the house had like gold leaf wallpaper. It was like just wallpaper to, to, to the nines. And then every like fixture was porcelain. It's probably really nice, but it had like, like little uh, airbrushed cats on, on them everywhere and stuff. And, and we were like basic. I don't need a $9 airbrushed porcelain fixture. I need a 10 cent plastic one that my kids, when they ride on, I can wipe it off and we just buy a new one if I need to, right? But one of the projects that we did um, is we put, uh, we painted and we did, and we ripped all the floor floorboards out, right? All the baseboards, I'm sorry, not the floorboards, all the baseboards out. We ripped all of them out and we painted and we ripped wallpaper off and we did all this stuff. And then I bought baseboard and I had a garage filled with baseboard, but then we had to get out of the house and into the house. We started moving furniture in and things were in the way. So I didn't finish the project. I had for maybe almost two years, a garage filled with baseboard. Well, then God in his sense of humor, says, okay, you're moving. You're going to pick up everything and leave. And we thought, we're going to have a hard time selling a house with no baseboard. So I paid someone to come in and finish my house for the next guy. I didn't even get to enjoy it. My friend was like, you're crazy. Why would you pay to do this for someone else? And you didn't even get to enjoy it. But we know the tension of not finishing things, and it just doesn't benefit anyone to start and not finish. It just doesn't benefit anyone to start and not finish. And so here's Paul. And uh, if you're just jumping in, we've talked a lot about the context of this letter. He's in a Roman prison. Most likely, he's been flogged and beaten. He's most likely stripped to almost no clothing. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to talk, and uh, he's going to mention, bring my cloak because uh, winter's coming and they don't provide anything for him. He knows uh, that the vibe has changed. He's been in prison before, but, but now he's in a Roman prison. And his Roman citizenship that at one time had elevated him to a certain status is no longer a benefit for him. The new emperor, Nero, is crazy. If you look historically through the story, you know that Rome burned on Nero's watch. And uh, most historians agree that Nero set the fire in order to kind of recalibrate the city and rebuild. Uh, but he needed a scapegoat. And he picked this small, a burgeoning cult of radical, uh, compassionate people, Christians, to blame for Rome burning. And as a result, they were imprisoning Christians and they were torturing Christians and they were burning Christians and they were they were they were putting them in the gladiator arenas and 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 it was a time of crazy ridiculous oppression now because of Paul's Roman citizenship he wasn't going to face any of those kinds of treatments but he certainly knew that the vibe had changed and he was facing a legitimate death penalty he's most likely in a hole it's possible that they've dug the hole deep enough that they just put a grate on top of it and put another prisoner on top of him. Or he might be on top of another prisoner. It's possible. It's one of the ways they did those prisons. And he is now writing, somehow he finds a way. It is highly possible that he dictated this letter. We know that Luke was in Rome at this time and Luke, the historian and uh, uh, the kind of the gifted writer, quite possibly, we know he visited Paul, quite possibly he could have dictated this letter 
Otherwise, somehow he's gotten a hold of a parchment and a paper. And he's writing what, what he is fairly confident will be his final letter. And he chooses in his final letter to write to his young protege, who's now probably 30, who went on a journey with him to start and plant churches named Timothy. And Timothy has now gone from church planter to pastor. And he's in Ephesus, which is one of the churches they started, which is this eclectic, unique community that we've talked about. It was kind of a, a Las Vegasy vibe. Sailors came in, partied, and left. And uh, what happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus. But there was this massive massive conversion when the Holy Spirit showed up in, in power and, and this church exploded. And then over time, the, the, the community kind of moved back towards this reckless, wild and free environment. And Paul's writing, and I was thinking about this as I was getting ready to, to kind of talk about these final words of, of Paul. And I, I was thinking, if you had with certainty an expiration date, that was gonna happen really soon. And you had time to write one letter. And you knew this was gonna be a final letter. What would you care about? Who would you write to? What would you say? What final words of, of wisdom or passion or compassion? Would vitriol come out of you? Would frustration come out of you? Would it's not fair and it's never gonna get fair come out of you? Would hope come out of you? Would, uh, would a message to a, a loved one come out of you? Would a final will and testimony of your, would your assets be the thing that you were thinking about? What would be the thing that would be so tender that you would make sure this got said? Paul knows he's headed to the death penalty. He knows this is it. These are the final, about 16 verses this week and next week that he's ever gonna write. He's had highs, he's had lows, he's written, I know what it's like to have plenty, I know what it's like to have nothing. He's seen the Holy Spirit show up and demonstrate power. He's, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's had a an intense, incredible conversion. He has a pre-Christ life that would put any sin that you're thinking about disqualifying you from to shame. He hunted believers and had them executed in a sense of righteous piety. God's radically transformed his heart and life and he's writing a letter about finishing the race. And his, what's on his mind is we gotta hit the finish line. We gotta push all the way through. We gotta complete the thing God's called us to do. Don't give up. And we jump into the text and Paul lays out this incredibly important thing. Timothy chapter four, verse one, the beginning of the end of his writing, he says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. And I love this because he's in a hole. He could be like, from the pits of despair, I write to thee. He can say, <laughs> in the foul-smelling hole of death I dwell in, I write to thee. But he recognizes, as he has recognized when he was in plenty, now that he is at risk, that every single situation he's in, he is in the presence of God. 
God's with him in the hole, just like he was with him on the boat, just like he was with him when things were going well, just like he's with him when things don't look great. He says, I am in the presence of God and Jesus. Do we live our life like we're in the presence of God? Do we think about that? When's the last time you were just doing whatever it is you needed to do on a random Tuesday at 10 a.m.? And it just crossed your mind. You know what? I'm in the presence of God in Christ Jesus this moment. So I'm not going to yell at this woman with 36 items in the 15 item. No. <laughs> I don't know where you're at. <laughs> I'm just saying. Paul gives us context. He says, this is where I'm at. Don't worry about the other stuff. I'm where you can be, where you should be, where I always want to be. I'm in the presence of God. In Christ Jesus. He says, who will judge the living and the dead? And we don't talk about that in church very often anymore, huh? When's the last time we just talked about the fact that we are all going face to face with the judge? Your honor, I'll throw myself at the mercy of the court. He says, we're gonna go face to face. Because we recognize we were in his presence the whole time, there is no need to bring some character witnesses in, some eyewitnesses in. There is no reason to try to spin the story. He has been present the whole time and he is taking notes. We had a conversation at camp about, and I've talked about this here, about does God really forget? Jeremiah says, you know, he, he, he forgives and remembers no more. And, and so in church world, we've, we've said, oh, God forgets everything. And that's insane. It's actually funny to think about. And it actually is damaging to our picture of God. Because I'll just be honest with you. I was a grown man thinking that God was kind of a clown. Like he was a goofball, like an old guy that was befuddled and forgot things. And I could just like whoop one over on him and do whatever I want and be like, ha ha, you don't remember that. And, uh, and it gave me like a license for lascivious thought and living because I thought, well, God just forgets everything anyways. He doesn't know. And then I heard someone make this illustration and it stuck with me ever since. Can you imagine God looking through the scripture and he gets to David and he's like, David, you did What? You did what with Bathsheba? Are you serious? Like he doesn't even know? Certainly God doesn't forget. And if you get into the text and the context, and this is off book, but just he doesn't remember it against you. And he takes the debt that you've incurred and he remembers the debt because he's a just God. He simply applies it to Jesus's account, to the price that was paid for you. But he doesn't forget. He's not forgetful. He's not some befuddled old deity that just doesn't know what's going on and you can just hoodwink him. That's not how it works. He's much, much more than that. And God, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I've got to go faster or we're not gonna get done, but I just love that Paul is living his life like I know I'm gonna die any moment, but it might not be the moment before Jesus comes back because he's coming back any moment. And I might not make it tomorrow, but he could come back tonight. And in church world, we used to talk about that a lot. We used to talk about the fact that tonight he could come. Tomorrow he could come. His glorious appearing is eminent and preeminent. He is coming back. And I wanna live my life like I know that he's coming back. 
And Paul says, he's coming to view, and in view of his appearing and coming, I'm recognizing that he is coming and he's coming back soon. Paul says, I give you this charge. I want you to get a picture of this. This word for charge is like a, it's like a herald would make. It's like a, I, I declare, it's like a legal charge. It's like a, a declaration. It's kind of, I want you to think it's like he would say, all right, I want you to listen up. In the red corner, fighting out of Nazareth. <laughs> Here comes Jesus. He's like, this charge, this declaration, I'm charging this to you. I want you to hear it. Verse two, what's the charge? What's the thing he wants to say? What's the thing he wants the church to get? He knows this letter is gonna, he's writing to Timothy, but he wants the church to get this. He knows it's gonna be read in church after church after church. And he says, listen, God's coming back. You're in his presence. And because he's coming back and because you're in his presence, I give you this charge. Let's get ready to rumble. Preach the word. That's the charge. He says, you got to preach the word. You got to be ready. And some of you are like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I came on the wrong day. Why'd you drag me to this place? This guy's yelling at me. I got to preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. We're going to break some of this down more. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. What is my responsibility? What part do I own? What charge does Paul give us? He says, you have to preach the word. You have to be prepared to declare what God is doing. You have to understand the story of your life interacting with God, who Jesus is and what he did. And you have to be ready to tell somebody, you know what's sometimes terrifying? You might find yourself, I had to come to terms with this. Any given day, at any given time, you might find yourself in a situation where the door is open to preach the word. Are you gonna do it? Now listen, I love the, uh, the uh, cop-out that we use in church world because it's a good cop-out. Preach the word if necessary. Use, you preach the gospel if necessary, use words, right? Preach the gospel if necessary, use words because our life does preach the word. The way we treat one another, the way we live out the Great Commission is more important. No, check that. As important as us declaring it with our mouths. But certainly the scripture gives us no permission to not declare with our mouths. Certainly at no point does the scripture say, well, if you're introverted, if you're shy, if you're just insecure, if you're not sure, just live it out in front of them. Don't worry about the pressure to actually say. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, how will they know if they have not been told? How will anybody know? And Paul, time and time again, he's beaten, he's punished, he's whipped, he's rejected, and it's not for living it out in front of them. It's because he got up in front of them and he said, listen, Christ Jesus, 
who lived, who came from Nazareth, who walked around. You guys saw him, some of him, who performed miracles. He actually said some things. He actually clarified that he was the son of God and that he was on a mission from God to come and to pay the price for all of our mistakes, to carry the weight of all of that so that we could be forgiven. He said that and you guys killed him. But don't worry because death could not hold him and he overcame sin and the grave and raised again. And you can go talk to this guy about it who saw it and this guy about it who saw it and I got the chance to see him and there are testimony. And he would tell that story and then they would get mad and throw rocks at him and put him in prison and do crazy things. Like he understood. And, and the scripture even says at some point, Paul's making a defense for his ministry and he goes, I know I'm not the cleverest in speech. He wasn't a good speaker. There were people who were like, we're on, we like Apollo better than you. Apollo, Apollo you know, he's another evangelist and, and he loves Jesus and we don't talk about him very much, but, but he's at least a good speaker. He's bold when he talks and, and you come in and you're not that good at speaking. That's in the, did you read it? I'm not making that up. Paul wasn't a great public speaker. He's a great writer, but he wasn't a great public speaker. I don't know how many rocks someone has to throw at you before you're probably not the greatest speaker anymore. Probably some things happened along the way that affected that. It's speculating. But he's like, hey, if we want to carry the baton across the finish line, then this generation, he's talking to church people now, right? Has had to have the courage to say what God has done. He's already talked about not being ashamed. We talked about that a few weeks ago, about telling our testimony and our story. But he's like, listen, you have to be able to articulate it. And it can't just be emotionalism. You have to know what you believe. This is why we launched the, the Rooted program. This is why we're gonna be pushing small groups the way we're doing, because we need to understand what we believe and get into conversations and work out our faith and figure it out so that we can articulate it. You've got to be able to say it. Church, you have to be able to say what you believe. Preach the word so that the momentum can go, so that we can cross the finish line, so that the next generation can get it. Preaching the word is not, please come on Sunday. Please just come on Sunday. Why? I don't know. It's good. Just come. Just come on Sunday. Listen, you should do that. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But if someone asks you why, you better be able to articulate it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be able to get up here and do this thing. It's different than this, all right? It may look different in your gifts mix and your skill set. It may look different. Maybe it's with children. Maybe it's in one-on-one -on -one relationships. Maybe it's in small groups. I don't know what your gifting skill set mix is in this moment. We're gonna talk about that more in a moment. But no one is off the hook on this. We all have to articulate it. All right, I'm gonna keep moving. We're gonna run out of time because I'm... Only got one service. Usually if I have two, I have a chance to like fix it if I go too long. So here we go. <laughs> Where am I at? Verse three. For a time, for the time will come, this is beautiful. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. This is how we know he's talking about what you actually believe. You gotta tell people the truth of what we believe and who Jesus is because the time's coming up where people aren't gonna put up with that. Does that sound like a time you live in today? People will not put up with sound doctrine. Listen to this and tell me if this doesn't seem like the time. Like, I don't know how Paul's prophetically writing this through time. He says, instead, to suit their own desires, 
they're just going to gather around them a great number of teachers who will say whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And here's just the reality, and, uh, and you know this and I know this, but there, there is someone who will teach that it is okay to do whatever wicked thing you want to do. The power of Google and, and, uh, and internet experts and, and, uh, and all of those things. There is some place where you can go and it, it, you pick the thing you want to do. You want to get a divorce just because you're tired of being in a marriage? There's someone who will teach that, 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 that the scripture from some angle that will do that. You, you, you want to, I don't know, you want to steal? There was someone who will figure out a way to, that, I mean, you could just pick the thing. Here's the thing. I, I'm pretty good at pulling things out of this book. And, and, and I can tell you, if you give me a little time, you pick the thing you want to do, I'll talk you into it. I can, I can, you know, I can figure out an argument. You want to you wanna land on one side of some political issue or the other? I can talk you into it from how, I, whatever angle. You don't know Hebrew. You don't know Greek. You'll believe me. I'm just saying. You want to live however you want to live? There is a teacher out there, and they may even have PhD after their name, who will tell you that that's okay. And Paul says, you got to be ready because the time's coming where people aren't going to put up with truth because truth is going to be difficult. Truth is going to require some boundaries and some sacrifice and some decisions that are hard decisions and aren't always popular. That's going to require that, that someone might think differently of you than that you would just go along with the crowd. There's going to be times when truth is challenging. He's in prison right now for declaring truth. He's ready to die for truth. And he's saying, listen, you're going to find people who are just going to say everything is okay. And they're not going to put up with anything else. They're going to look for whatever it is that their itching ears want to hear. That's why you have to know what you are talking about. If you haven't read this book, no matter how many experts you've listened to online, no matter how many other voices that you've heard that have kind of solidified your faith, if you haven't read this book, you are at risk of being swindled, moved off of the truth. You have to know it. You have to own it. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. I know I'm getting preachy, but that's what you want me to do. That's my role. I'm preaching the word. This is why... This is why when people ask me, and my wife gets tired of me saying this all the time, but it's just true. This is why when people ask me, well, what, how do you preach? Do you preach line by line? Do you read topical? What do you do? I just do it all because I want to preach the word. Whatever effective way we can get the truth out. So we're at like week nine of 2 Timothy now, walking verse by verse, line by line, because I won't, I'm not afraid to preach every moment of the word. And sometimes we got to jump into specific topics, but we're never just going to have a topic and not go to the word. That's how this works. The topic just directs the traffic and then we land in there and we get into the word. You have to know the scripture and you have to be able to declare it. This is what Paul's crying out. These are his final words. I charge you. Preach the word. Be aware. Folks are coming into the body, into the room, and they're just turning away from truth because their ears are itching because there's things that they want to be true that are not true that they got to talk themselves into. 
So they're figuring it out. And they're turning aside to myths. You with me out there, guys? Verse 5. He says, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. And I love this. He says, even if everyone else is going crazy, you keep your head. Don't be pushed around. Don't get into the the momentum of, yeah, this sounds really good. Let's just make this into the new truth because this is better. You keep your head. You keep your mind right. Don't get off mission. Don't close your Bible and just run after whatever thing pops up and distracts you. Don't get distracted by every immediate tension that pops up. We live in a distracted universe. It is profitable to distract us. It is profitable. People make good money getting our clicks, getting our attention, getting our distract us. I'm so distracted so often, I don't even remember the thing I was distracted about yesterday. I spent a whole day distracted and now I'm distracted about something else. So frustrating. Sometimes we just got to unplug from distraction and remember our mission. We can be so distracted, we never do our mission. We never preach the word. We never get in the word. We don't go anywhere, do anything that has any impact. But we certainly sit around and have arguments about whatever the latest distracting thing is. He's like, so keep your head. Don't give it away. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Share your story. Share the Bible. He doesn't say you all have the evangelism gift. Some of you do. Darn it. It's way easier for you. You just walk up. You're like, hey, how's it going? Bobby's good seeing you. Yeah, man, how's your walk with the Lord? He's like, whoa, okay. Have you met Jesus yet? Let me introduce you to my best friend. It's just natural, normal, and it just flows out of you. And Bobby's like, whoa. And then all of a sudden, he's way down in a deeper conversation than he ever wanted to have because you just got the gift of evangelism. But it doesn't say use your gift of evangelism. It says do the work that an evangelist does. Do the work that an evangelist does. Share your story. Share the story. Preach the word. Do that job. You all have that job. I have that job. You have that job. Think for just a second, if you would, about who's the person who shared Jesus with you when Jesus came alive for you. And you said, you know what? I'm going to trust in Jesus. If you're a church person, think about that for just a second. Some of you have never had that conversation, and I'm excited that you're here, and thank you for being here. But I just want to be real for a moment. I just want to ask you this question. Do you hate that person? Are you mad at that person for that? That person's potential embarrassment worth it for you? Do you feel like maybe they care enough about you to have risked that but? So why do you feel like if you shared and did the work of an evangelism, someone would hate you, reject you, resist you, be angry at? I'm just saying. You don't feel that way. Now, it doesn't say be that obnoxious person that relentlessly bothers and twists someone's arm and, and uh, you know, tells them, turn or burn, sits on a thing and does I should be careful, but has a megaphone. It's just like, you're going to hell. Like, that's not the thing. Right? Whatever that thing is, that's not the thing. 
It's a different thing for a different time. But doing the work of the evangelism of the evangelist is a thing. And we're all called, we all have that. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. This one's, this one makes me angry because I need time and I don't know if I have enough time, but can we just have a conversation? I had to think about what discharging the duties were because I read this for a hundred years. I'm not, not a hundred years, but, and I just thought, do all the ministry. Do all the ministries. But that's not what discharging is. Like when a hospital discharges you, they say, we took care of you. Now you're responsible for yourself. You've been discharged. We've managed you for this point. Now you take the management of yourself and you go. And Paul is telling Timothy, I have discharged the ministry to you so that you can now discharge all the duties of your ministry. You can hand them to people to go do and to own and to take care of. He's saying, and this is tense for us, so we gotta get into this, all right? It's your job to pick up ministry, to do ministry, and then to give ministry to other people to do. It's all of our responsibility. So here's the thing. We live in this Western culture where we pay a pastor to do the ministry. And because I'm passionate and, and, and have some measure of energy, I'll just do all the ministry that I can. And then I drop. And then you go find a new pastor and you're like, okay, now you are the guy that we're gonna squeeze every ring of life and energy out of. And then you go do that stuff and yay. We'll put a quarter in that guy and he'll dance up here. No, <laughs> that's awful. I'm sorry. But, but I, I know I'm not, I'm not taking a shot at you directly. I'm just being general with the church. So we get this, right? And Paul is telling Timothy in a letter that's gonna be read to all the church that it's gonna be his responsibility to discharge the ministry that he is gonna have to hand to people who are prepared to preach the word, who can go up a chapter and recognize that all scripture is God-breathed and useful. And come on, and they're, they're trained and, 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 and understand the word of God and they have gifts and you have gifts and then you do those gifts. It's been discharged to you. And now you're on your own. I'm not doing that for you. And then you now become competent and confident and then you discharge some of that gift to somebody else and you keep doing it and you keep going. That's how it works. That's how this body is supposed to function. And can I just be real with you? We need your gifts. We need you to pick up the ministry. It's, uh, it's in a, gosh, I, I don't I've talked enough about this from the front and so I gotta be careful, but, but, uh, but it is a very exciting moment in the life of this church right now. If we haven't had as much of this conversation as we should, but we are rolling to what is Celebration Center 2.0. The, all the momentum is happening to this next season of, of life and ministry. We're unpacking values and, and we're having conversations. Do you know that we have a name? Yeah. So anyways, um, <laughs> what, is that tense in the room? 
You're excited about that? Good. I'm just going to let you deal with that for a minute, and I'll think about if I'm going to tell you. But, but, but we're working through those things, and we're sitting with, with leadership teams and, and boards, and we're praying, and we're outlining what are the critical things that have to be in place so that we can walk into our new mission that God's assigned us to for what's happening here. You guys are all uh, early. You're in on the first wave, which is totally exciting. You're like the, the, the founding members of 2.0, and, and many of you who are here when we prayed and fasted and we did the Daniel fast and we came together and did worship. We're going to do another worship night here at the end of the month. When we, when we came together, the end of next month, when we came together and did some of those things and God starts speaking words and, uh, and all of those things are coming here, all of that stuff that God's been opening the door, we're walking into that. And it only works if the ministry gets discharged and you guys pick it up. And you get passionate and excited about what God is doing in you and through you as part of this body. That's how it goes. There's gifts in this room that are critical. I know my gifts and limitations. I want to brag about some of you, but I don't have your permission, so I'm going to be careful. I'll pick on someone who I know doesn't care if I have his permission or not. Kevin's sitting right here, right? <laughs> Kevin and Lori, and they have, yeah, they, they want to launch a, a, a married ministry in our church. I don't have that gift. I can't do that. It's not my skill set, but it's coming. It's coming in the next season, and I'm so excited. Some of our, some of our conversations wrapped around marriage, like, ah, it's amazing. I, when, when I got here, we needed some skill sets that I didn't have. And God is raising you up and, and bringing you in. And, and dude, that's amazing. Can I be honest? I'm not good at everything. I do like two things okay and two things crummy. And then that's the max I can do. Like that's all I got. Like I'll talk with you, but you don't want counseling from me. I'm just honest. I'll love you and I'll be kind, but I talk too much to be a counselor. I really do. Counselors, listen. I know that's a different skill set than I have. You'll come in and you're like, so, and I'm like, I know. And then I'll tell you a story about my life for an hour and you'll be begging to leave. <laughs> yeah. Nikki said counseled. You know, that's all I got. And so I'll do life with you. I'll hang out, but I, I'm not a counselor, but some of you are. And you have that gift and God's brought it into the family for such a time as this. And I could go on and on and on and on. But that's just a funny example because it's true. I got to recognize that ministry has to get discharged into the body. It just does. <sighs> okay, where am I at? <laughs> that's the church. Verse 6. This is beautiful. We're almost there. For I'm all ready being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. This is a beautiful picture. It's a throwback to one of the offerings in the Old Testament. I don't have time to go all into all of that, but I just love the picture. He's like, I've squeezed it to the last drop. I've made everything I have go into this. It counts. I am pouring it out. I, the, the visual of this is graphic. Um, he, he most likely was killed by execution, by beheading. Uh, because he was a Roman citizen, they wouldn't crucify him or feed him to the lions or any of those kind of things. A death penalty for a Roman citizen would have been a beheading. And I think there's a, uh, an allusion here to the way he knows he's eminently going to die. His life is literally going to be poured out. 
And he said, I'm already in process. We know that he would have been beaten um, as part of his imprisonment. They would have flogged him. Um, he's already literally experiencing the pouring out of his life. And he knows that his departure time is near. And, and I think that that is the incredible picture that sets up what is probably the power statement of this passage. He says, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I decided that's an awesome tombstone. <laughs> I read it over and over this week, and I was like, man. First, I thought it was kind of arrogant. And I thought, there's no arrogance here. He knows he's about to die. He's just saying, I gave it every single thing I got. I would not stop. I would not quit. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love that time and time again in this final letter, he talks about life like it's a fight. I don't know if anyone ever stood up in front of you and said, you know, just follow Jesus and it'll be cruising. We joke about that because it's just not the reality of our world. And life is a fight. And Paul gave everything he's got to Jesus. And it was a fight. But he was down to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, he went down swinging. He was not a pacifist. He's like, I took some shots and I rope-a-doped, and I swung back, and I fought, and I bobbed, and I weaved, and I fought a good fight. <laughs> Vanessa's like, <laughs> in the danger zone, I'm sorry. It's like, I fought. And he says, I finished the race. I kept the faith. I want to be careful how I say this. He didn't retire. He didn't say, I got my 20 in, I served Jesus, and now I serve golfing. <laughs> I served Jesus, and now I serve travel. I served Jesus, and now I serve me. Because I put my time in. I'm not anti-retiring. I hope someday that I get to just cheer on the next generation. But I never get to stop keeping the faith. The charge to preach the word the charge to fight the fight, the charge to, to keep on finishing the race, that doesn't go away. He fought all the way to the finish line. It wasn't about, look, I got all the way over here, and upon the completion of your studies and payment, <laughs> you will finish. But I'm in the crowd. No, finish the race all the way to the end. All the way. So what happens when he dies? Verse eight. So now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all to all, so to all who have longed for his appearing. He's like, listen, there is a reward. That word crown right there, it's the same word that, I think it's 1 Corinthians 9, where he talks about an athlete uh, uh, competing. It was in this, but in 1 Corinthians, he also does it. But, uh, and getting a crown, or like, it's like a wreath, right? It's, they didn't have gold medals. So it's the victor's crown. It's the wreath. It's, it's this picture of I crossed the finish line and I got the victory. He goes, there is in store for me a crown, a victory crown, a prize. I ran, I completed it of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And listen, and I love this. Not only to me, 
but also to all who have longed for his appearing. For you. Paul's like, I finished the race. I did everything I was supposed to do. I am excited for the prize and you can get the prize down. He's excited for what you have available to you. It's like, I want you to get that, but I want the wealth on my good and faithful servant. It's like, that is available to all. You know, when we did the hero series before this, we talked about how Elijah was a man just like us. And the reality is Paul's story is so insane and so filled with, with, with the power and miraculousness of God, but he's just a guy, just like us. And he's saying, I've done everything I know I was supposed to do. And just like you, I want the prize for finishing the race. Let me give you some keys to finishing and then I'll finish up because it's late. These are keys. It's all from the text, mostly from verse two, but I'll give you some other things. Here's the keys. You want to finish well, church folk? First things first, preach. Don't stop declaring what is true. Keep on mission. You have a voice and your voice has power. You were created in the image of God. When he spoke, things happened that didn't exist before, came into existence. That's the image that you've been created in. When you speak, there is power. You wanna finish well, don't shut up. Preach, declare, stay on mission. Second, be prepared. Expect the unexpected, expect difficulty, expect the enemy to attack you. Why? Because you are making a difference in heaven. So expect it to get difficult. Be prepared. Expect the challenges. Expect the attacks. Expect the enemy to try to circle and do damage. Expect resistance. Expect those things. When you're prepared for that, you will understand what is happening and you will move through those things and you will keep on running. I was thinking about, you know, the boxing kept coming up because it was fighting, and, and, uh, and there's a quote, I think it was George Foreman, but he said, you know, the, the championship wasn't won in the ring. It was won on the road. When I got up every day at 4.30 and started running is when I won the championship in the preparation, understanding that it was going to get hard, understanding that I was going to get tired, understanding all of those things. I was prepared. That's when I won. Third, I'm moving super quick through this. These are free, but I, I hope they help. Be patient. Oh, no fair. God's timing is not always your timing. Not everyone is going to get on board right away. Not every time you open your mouth is it going to go well. Paul was rejected time and time again and went to the next place. He got rejected, he went to the next place. He went rejected and they were like, woo. And he's like, yes. And then he stayed for a little while and then he got rejected and he went to the next place and he, he just understood it was gonna take time and he was gonna have to be patient and he's gonna have to be consistent and it wasn't all gonna come together in one moment. It wasn't a bag of popcorn and you press a button and go. It took time, it marinated. It was a process. Be patient. God's timing is not always your timing. Some of you are frustrated. I talk about 2.0 and you're so excited for it to come. You're like, why can't I get this to come right now? I'm like, we're almost there. Be patient, stay with me. It's gonna be awesome, I'm so excited. I'm gonna discover some crazy things. We live in a world that can't be asked to be patient for anything. We just don't want to be patient for anything. Keep your head forth. Keep your head. Remember, we just talked about getting distracted. I love this passage 
Proverbs 4.23, it's the New Century Version. It's this great translation of this text, and it simply says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think because what you think determines what you do. It's true. You want to kill a day? Start thinking about the wrong things. You want to kill your life? Spend all your life dreaming about the wrong things, staying focused on the wrong things. Keep your head. Keep your head. Sometimes you have to purge your mind every once in a while. Some of you need to fast from social media for a week and just remember that you have a mission here. It's the summer. I know you're binging on your shows. You might just need a break and get your head back. Remember your values. Remember who God called you to be. Remember that you're a finisher. You're supposed to run the race, your race, not someone else's race. <laughs> You know what's funny? I, I just a quick one. People try to get me to run their race all the time. People try to get you to run their race. They're passionate about something, which is good, because they have a call to run that race. And maybe you're supposed to partner with them, but sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're just supposed to say, amen, go. But people will try to get you to run their race all the time. You got to know your race, what God's called you to do, and do it. Last one, do the work. Do the work, discharge the work. Do the work, discharge the work. Do the work, discharge the work. So many of us are so busy, we're doing work that we were never designed for, and so we never do the work that we are designed for. When Paul says be ready in season and out of season, I wanted to spend some time there. I'm gonna stop here really quick, but I just want you to understand something. If I had a, <laughs> I've had so many conversations. It's just in this season, I can't do in this season, I'm in a season right now where I can't do the thing God called me to do. Paul's like, what? In season and out of season, do the work. We understand you're in the season. You know, like I, I spent a lot of time in, in middle school and then high school and then young adult ministry and all, all, that, all those times. And there's all these seasons, right? It's like, I'm passionate about the Lord, but I gotta, I gotta make this team right now. I'm passionate about this, but I, I'm in love. I got, I'm passionate about this, but I gotta finish school. I'm passionate about this, but I just got this job. I'm passionate about this, but it's our first year of marriage. So we just wanna take it easy and get, make sure that we're good. I'm passionate about this, but we just had a kid, so I can't get involved right now for a little bit. I'm passionate about this, but second kid's on the way and you're in pregnancy with him. You know, I'm passionate about this. And pretty soon I've been passionate passionate, passionate, waiting for the season, and I never did the work. Paul's like, every season, it may look a little different. You may have to pivot. I'm not unmerciful, and I'm not anti-seasons and marriage and life. Those are all positive things. I'm just saying, it never turns off. If you want to finish, and you want to finish well, find margin to do the work you were designed to do. Well, what work? I don't know what work I'm so designed to do. Well, let's go on that journey together. Let's start figuring out who God put you together to be. I can tell you one job. We all have the evangelist job. How are you doing with that? I see some empty rows. There's room. We could do some evangelism. We could let someone know. I'm just saying. All right. Would you stand with me? I had a cool video, but we're going to wrap it up because I dominated your time. That's what happens when I only got one service. I got to get all my words out. This is the part you want me to do, right? I'm doing the work so that you can go do the work. I'm discharging to you the duties that you've been called to so that you can finish. 
calling you just based on the word. These aren't my words. These are the word of, of the Lord in, in the scriptures. This is Paul writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit to the church. And let me just tell you one quick little nugget that's amazing. You're here today because Timothy and the church in Ephesus believed these words and did them. And it went from Timothy to other members in that church and they went out and they reached other people and they brought the letter to Laodicea and they brought it to Corinth and they, they did the work and, they, and other people picked up the torch. And for hundreds of then thousands of years, folks have picked up the torch and done the work and discharged the work and gathered together and it got all the way to Puyallup. That's crazy. This little group, this Jewish sect this little not gifted speaker, Paul, did the work. And now you're here and it's our turn. And as we kind of go from this place and start to rally behind what God's doing in our neighborhood and the transformation and the change that's happening in this body, it's gonna work because we did the work because we're willing to finish. Because we didn't retire If you can retire, retire. You just don't get to retire from this work, all right? So Jesus, <laughs> I think about your final words on the cross. It is finished, paid in full. I think about Paul saying, or, or whoever the author of Hebrews is saying that we want to fix our eyes on you. You're the pioneer. You're the director, the perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, scorning its shame. And you sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. You looked at the work ahead, even though you knew it was going to be hard, even though you knew it was going to lead to the cross. For the joy, you took joy knowing that the difference it was going to make in the eternity of all of us. You modeled for us, finishing, going all the way. Was it hard? Yes. Was there a price to pay? Yes. Did you do the work? Yes. Did you leave it in our hands? Yes. So we want to pick up the work. It's been discharged to us to do the work of an evangelist, to be ready in every season of our life, to be able to declare the truth of who you are, to reach generation after generation after generation, to pass it on in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our friendship circles, to do the work, to serve and to love like you, to demonstrate the incredible picture of what it looks like to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to go and love our neighbor like ourselves. And standing around trying to figure out how to love ourselves isn't what you meant. It was about taking it to people who don't know and haven't heard and need to know because you love them as much as you love us. So we say thanks. We're inspired. We're challenged. We know this is just one domino and a series of dominoes and we don't have to figure out all the pieces in this moment so I can stop talking. But we want to pick up this moment and, and mark this moment as a moment where we're invited into the journey alongside of you. Challenge us. We want to be finishers. We want to be finishers. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen.